You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The 2020 baseball season, like all sports, is on hiatus. But we at The Chronicle know that you still want to hear from Giants players, coaches, managers, and other baseball newsmakers on the Giants Splash podcast. I'm beat writer Henry Shulman. Colleague John Shea and I plan to keep you informed in print, online, and here on The Splash, especially on the important matter of when baseball will resume. The Giants Splash, available on your favorite podcast app. Hello and welcome to part two of a special Giants Splash and A's Plus joint podcast. On Wednesday, April 15th, we invited Chronicle subscribers to a Zoom event. Participants were able to ask me and A's beat writer Susan Slusser questions about the potential return of Major League Baseball in 2020, specific questions about the Giants and A's, and anything else on their mind. The moderator was John Schultz, the Chronicle's assistant sports editor couple questions here on robo umps uh sam pasco and kirk paulson are asking about if this stoppage may accelerate the adoption of robo umpires is there any truth to that rumor um and uh is there anything we know about that that's certainly something that was brought up with the initial arizona plan was that was a the the players would sit in the stands and there wouldn't be an umpire. It would be a robo-ump to minimize physical distancing uh, issues. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's necessary. To me, if you're going to play at all, everybody has to test negative uh, and be in quarantine. Everybody has to be safe, in which case you don't have to worry about any of those phys- physical distancing issues. You don't have to necessarily worry about any of the hygiene issues that I mentioned earlier. Uh, because you're assuming everyone is negative. I think that's the only way you actually could probably go back to really playing, in which case you can have umpires, but I suspect that MLB will try to work it in somehow, even if it's uh, on a trial basis. They already have. Spring training was, uh, they were monitoring, doing background monitoring with the robo-ump system uh, in some spring training ballparks. And certainly they've used it in uh, the Atlantic League, which is an independent league, but MLB oversaw that. Uh, and they were going to employ it in the Florida State League, I believe, this year, uh, with an eye towards potentially using it in the major leagues down the line if they liked what they were seeing. There are a lot of issues. I wrote about this during the spring. There are a lot of issues about, uh, you know, that not all the calls are right, the robo-ops. There are some glitches, certainly. Uh, And more than anything, I think people do like that uh, human element, and it's going to be interesting to see if this is something that goes over big with fans if it's ever adopted thoroughly yeah they they actually used the uh robo umps at uh uh the arizona diamondbacks and colorado rockies uh ballpark during the arizona fall league uh salt river fields uh talking stick salt lick whatever you want to call it um and uh they uh, i mean it and the giants uh affiliate actually played there because scottsdale stadium was under construction so the scottsdale scorpions played there there was some really funny stuff that happened um Jacob Hayward, who was uh, on the Giants, uh, on the Scottsdale Scorpions, uh, he actually got rung up on a pitch that 
landed in the dirt. And that's one of the things that, you know, players are going to have to uh, get used to is that like a big curveball may cross the plate and it'll end up in the dirt and the robot might call it strike three. And, and that's what happened to uh, J- uh, Jacob Hayward. And then he actually got ejected from the game. He started yelling at the home plate umpire, you know, and uh, the, whole day, the, the umpire looked at him and said, I didn't call it. What do you want to do? You know, you're out of here. Um, and uh, the other thing we heard about the, uh, those games in the, in the fall league was that there was about a three or four second lapse between the time that uh, the, the, the pitch crossed the plate and then they, the umps got the word in their ear. And, and these are all things that are going to have to work out. So I don't think in, in the long run, I don't think that um, anything is going to be accelerated. Look, Rob Manfred is a very forward-thinking commissioner. He, he is, in a lot of ways, you might disagree with that, but in terms of new technology, he is. He's very aggressive. And if he's telling us that we still have several steps to go through before we can prove that we can use this system, then I believe him. Um, I, I think we're still several years away from that. I mean, there has to be a, a, a perfected system uh, for doing it. Uh, the calls have to be almost instantaneous so that the players know, uh, the catcher knows whether to throw down a second. I mean, in baseball, uh, if, if it's a 3-2 count and the, and the catcher catches the ball, uh, you know, catches a pitch and the guy's running from first base, um, he wants to know it's a ball and a strike because if he throws the ball into center field, the guy can run to third. Um, so those are things that will have to be ironed out. I do think we'll eventually have it. And actually, I think it'll be a very good idea to have it. I talked to Chris Young, um, the, the former major league pitcher, the very tall Chris Young. Uh, he's running uh, MLB's uh, robo-ump program, for back of, lack of a better term. Uh, and he's not sure how they'll use it. He thinks it will be used somehow, but he thinks that it could go be from as little as used, being used as a training tool for umpires, which he really likes the idea of, to using it but he I you know he did not sound completely sold on it as an idea for full time and like a, a lot of former players he likes the human element you know uh pitchers largely when I who I talked to because the A's had a lot of players that played in those fall league games too and, and certainly Chris Young was familiar with pitchers think it will benefit pitchers so hitters are not going to like it uh I, I can tell you that Greg Diekman from the from the A's minor league system said it was not, you know, the, the, the strike zone completely changes for hitters. Um, but pitchers, pitchers are benefiting. So those curveballs in the dirt getting strikes, they like that a lot. Yeah, this is a, just interesting. I know you, uh, we don't want to talk about this all day, but um, when I was talking to some folks in spring training this year, it's supposed to benefit pitchers up and down. Uh, the true strike zone is actually a lot bigger than it's called, but then it's not supposed to benefit balls that are side to side. So, you know, a guy like if you're thinking about in the past, like Tom Glavin and Kirk Reeder, uh, they depended on balls two or three inches off the plate. And then when baseball tightened that up, both of them struggled. It eventually knocked Reeder out of the game. Well, that's supposed to be, uh, you know, brought back in again. But from what I heard uh, talking to people who witnessed the fall league was that the the machine wasn't quite 100 percent. It, uh, it wasn't like uh, consistent on this side of the strike zone and that side of the strike zone. And it wasn't consistent up and down either. Like the, the pitches that were um, maybe slightly touching the box uh, or slightly out of the box up here, uh, those were being called balls. And if the same, the same coverage of the box below uh, were being called strikes. And that's why a lot of the hitters were getting upset. The, uh, you know, look, we, we live in a world where we, 
there's technology can fix anything. We're, it's just going to take a lot more. And, and everybody, hitters, pitchers, umpires, um, team executives, uh, on-field coaches, are all going to have to be convinced that it's a better system than uh, having a human being with two eyes call balls and strikes. All right. Um, and then, uh, Susan, I got one for you here uh, from Jessica Johnson. She asks, how did Sean Mania's self-confidence seem during spring training uh, after the wild card loss? Yeah, that's a great question. Hi, Jessica. She's one of my favorites. Um, uh, Sean Mania took that loss in the wild card game so personally, and he was um, just beside himself afterwards, he tried to take all the blame. Uh, certainly was not, the A's scored one run. They, they weren't going to, they were not going to win that game. Uh, they, they just had, he had no offensive support. He struggled a little bit, but he had been magnificent through September. The A's probably don't make the playoffs without what Sean and I did for them in September. And considering he was coming back off a major, you know, shoulder problem that required surgery, it was even more staggering what he did. So coming into the spring, he said, he's now using this as a positive. He's using that bad experience in the wildcard game to realize that you can kind of hit the the depths of your profession and it can spring you forward. And that's how he was, he was a very shamanaya using it very much as an inspiration and a positive tool. Uh, and I believe it. And he looked terrific during the spring. So, and healthy. And, um, and I've talked, you know, mentioned before how good the A's rotation was. Uh, I should have mentioned Sean because he's a guy with a full healthy season along with Frankie Montas who missed so much of last season with the drug suspension. Those are two guys who potentially could be Cy Young candidates in a in a normal normal year, which we obviously don't have. All right, and we have a uh, a question about a Cy Young candidate potentially for the Giants. Um, Sam Pasco asks Henry, on a scale of realistic to definite, how likely is it that Logan Webb turns into a Cy Young candidate in the next two to four years? Yeah, I don't think the Giants view him that way, to be honest. Um... You know, he, uh, they, they had him work on his delivery during the offseason, uh, work on some, some of his pitch uh, mechanics or uh, shape, as they call it. Uh, and, I mean, they, you don't do that with somebody you think is about to win a Cy Young Award. I, I think that there are going to be others in the system who are going to pass him. I would say right now, I mean, I, I mean a Cy Young is obviously, you know, that's uh, – it's hard to predict with prospects, but I think the closest you had to put, if you had to pin me down on, on which Giants prospect had the best chance right now winning a Cy Young, I would say Sean Jelly because his stuff was, his stuff is amazing. It comes from a really high vantage point. Um, you know, he throws in the mid nineties, 93, 94. Uh, he's a very tough at bat. He's a very uncomfortable at bat. And of course he has to prove it just like anybody else. I, I think in their mind and in a lot of people's minds, uh, Sean Jelly and maybe even Seth Corey have passed Logan Webb as a prospect. All right, and we have a question here from Charles Hardy to Henry. Is there any thought or possibility of the Giants trading or dumping Brandon Belt? Um, with the pandemic stoppage, I guess it might be a moot point, he writes. Boy, I never heard that question before. Great, Brandon Belt. Get rid of Brandon Belt. Um, yeah, I think there's. I think there's definitely a possibility, and and actually, you know, the possibility goes up uh, if if they don't play this year, and uh, you know, he's going to be in the last year of his contract. And I think a lot of it will depend on 
um, who they might have who could replace them and what they could get for them. And, and I'm talking about, say, in the offseason as they're looking ahead to the 2021 season. Uh, and, and also what they feel, the Giants feel, their chances are of sneaking into the playoffs in 2021. Uh, and if they, if they somehow feel that way, uh, which I don't know, given that there might not be a minor league season, you want to hold on to Belt and see what he does for the season because uh, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it, of the Giants fans who are on this call, I'm sure it's split 30-30 whether people think he is like the worst player who's ever put on a Giants uniform uh, or uh, a really valuable piece of the lineup. But the Giants view him as a valuable piece of the lineup. He gets on base. He's got power. They made some changes that they were hoping would, um, you know, would come to fruition, which we've heard that song before. Do I think there's a chance they would trade him in the winter? No. Do I think there's a chance that uh, he would be a midseason trade in 2021? Absolutely. And uh, changing up the pace a bit, a little bit here. Um, Martin Gonzalez has an interesting question. Um, under some of the scenarios MLB's throwing out, uh, games would be played exclusively in Arizona. Um, if uh, if and when the season is resumed, um, and both of you please weigh in on this one, um, would you worry about your safety covering games? Yes. <laughs> I mean, if they started in Arizona anytime soon, um, I, I'm asthmatic. I, I'm not sure how eager I would be to go um, cover games. Uh, and especially if it's the scenario that they've talked about, about uh, everyone has to stay quarantined away from friends and family for weeks, months, whatever i i would not that's horrible to me so um sorry john <laughs> <laughs> well um if i if i were susan given the year she had i would be worried about my health walking into the kitchen um <laughs> but i mean the answer to your question is yeah i'd be worried about it honest to goodness um you know i i don't even I, what i've thought about and they haven't addressed is uh what they would do with the media uh because I imagine that they, there will be no face-to-face one-on-one interviews. What they were doing at spring training after uh, it, the, the pand- after the, the virus started to spread, but before they closed down spring training, was that they shut down clubhouses to reporters and anybody else who wasn't supposed to be in there. And uh, they brought people outside, and we were screaming questions at, at these guys. Uh, I imagine that a lot of this stuff is going to be done by video. Um, I, you know, I... I, I wouldn't be that afraid if I was able to walk into a stadium um, and take my place uh, in a in a press box with uh, you know with with maybe eight ten feet between reporters and then go downstairs after the game uh, and uh, talk to fans or talk to the players outdoors, uh, which you could do in Phoenix in August and September very easily. Uh, I'm I, you know I'm I'm more concerned. Honestly, I live in Burlingame, and I mean, I'm, I live here on the peninsula, and there's so many people I see violating the social distancing rules in the supermarkets, on the streets. I'm more afraid of them than I, are, than I am of baseball players right now. And these would be the most, the best tested people in America. Right. And, uh, and to that point, um, you know, one of the proposal, uh, one of the parts of the proposal from MLB reportedly was that, um, the players would have to, you know, be in some sort of self-isolation um, and potentially even, you know, being away from their families for the entire season. Um, uh, it's uh, Cruz, I believe, Cruz, Dave, 
Dave Cruz asks the question, um, would the CBA require all players to play even if they don't want to be away from their family? That's a great question, isn't it, Susan? I, I've not I heard that one. can't imagine that they, would they could require people to do that. There certainly was no indication in the agreement that uh, they came up with a couple weeks ago to sort of that governs sort of this work stoppage. Uh, there was no language. I mean, they don't know what they're going to do, so I don't know how they could agree on it. Um, but I would have to think that it's voluntary. I, I don't think you could require people to do anything that's potentially hazardous or that takes them away from families for, you know, more than the four to six weeks, you know, they, they potentially are sometimes now. It's an interesting question because part of the agreement with uh, the players and the team was that in return for uh, the owners not having to pay any more than about four to five percent of uh, all salaries this year if there's no baseball um, you know in return for that the players were get, were assured that they would get service time and I just wonder if uh, they decided not to play we know they wouldn't get their salaries but then would they get their service time and I honestly that's a great question because I have not seen that addressed And uh, there was a question in here about service time. Um, Paul Mahoney asks, is the agreement to count this year in a player's year, in a player's years of service, is that cast in stone, even if the entire year is canceled? Yeah, that's what the agreement was. Mm -hmm. uh, players yeah. will get, if anybody was uh, on a roster, uh, what it, I believe it was at the end of last season uh, or on the disabled list, uh, they would get the equivalent of the service time they had last year. Uh, if it was a you know full season, they'd get a full season. If it was less than a full season, it would be prorated. All the contracts are going to be, you know, pushed forward. You're not going to have any timeouts on contracts, anything like that. It's just as if the, the league, the year were being played. We will return to the Zoom subscriber event right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. And now the conclusion of the Chronicle subscriber event with myself, Henry Schulman, and A's beat writer, Susan Slusser. Rich asks, will pressure from the White House or even state governors have any impact on when or if the game comes back this year? Susan? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I mean, who knows uh, <laughs> in this day and age how how things are, get decided sometimes at the uppermost levels. But uh, my impression from talking to people at Major League Baseball is they're going to be relying a lot on uh, their medical experts, and including the CDC, before they make any sort of um, decisions. And then they would probably talk to state and federal officials about how best to implement them. I think that's the process they want to be uh, convinced that their medical people feel like it's responsible first. And the good thing is that they're involving these people in the process. Uh, Major League Baseball is is talking to Dr. Fauci. Uh, they're keeping him apprised. And he's even come out and said that if you do these six things, 
uh, that you're talking about, I think we could do it in a controlled environment. Um, and uh, Rob Ducey, who's the governor of Arizona, came out today, I believe it was today or yesterday, and said, or yesterday, and said he would be open to the possibility under the right scenario. Uh, don't ask me about Florida because I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I do not feel, I'll just say this, uh, I don't feel Florida has earned the right to have any baseball this year with some of their governmental decisions. Um, I don't think that the White House will have any influence. Like Susan said, it'll come down to state and local authorities. I mean, even before uh, anybody in the federal government said there was not going to be baseball this year uh, or, or would say that in certain cities, London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, came out and said, ain't happening in San Francisco. Governor Newsom is saying it ain't happening in California. So that's already been said. I don't think anybody's going to be able to change their minds. All right. Um, so we've got, a, got an interesting question here from Linda Burnett asking both Henry and Susan, how do you get interviews with players these days? Do you have everybody's cell phone numbers? Yeah, pretty much. It's, if I don't, yeah, if I don't, I'll take it. Huh? You go. Okay, you go. No, yeah. I mean, we, we pretty much, you know, we ask for their phone numbers or email addresses. And if, uh, if we don't happen to have one, uh, the media relations staff will contact them for me. Now, uh, you know, Susan, uh, it, she, she covers a team that's players who are much more amenable about calling back. Uh, Giants players are a little haughtier. What's the word? They, you know, I have to really struggle to get some of these guys to respond to me. Yeah, it's a little hit and miss. Uh, some guys are great. I would say the majority of these players are pretty good, but not not all of them. Um, and uh, some PR departments are being more helpful during this time than others, I would say. Um, I, I've uh, been on email chains with writers throughout the country asking um, which teams are setting up conference calls and setting up interview sessions with players and uh, executives. And I have to tell you that the A's have done none, zero. So, uh, you know, in, in that sense, uh, that the A's have been a little bit different, their players do tend to, especially the younger ones, tend to be uh, pretty helpful with stuff. But you'll, you'll see over the course of the next few weeks, um, you know, it's not, we're not getting everybody, that's for sure. I've, there's one guy I've been trying, tried his agent, tried the A's, I've tried his DMs, I've tried his email, everything, and I haven't gotten him for a specific story, so. It can be a little frustrating, but uh, we're doing the best we can. I can I can attest to that. They're, uh, Henry and Susan are working really hard to uh, keep the keep the interesting content churned out here, and they've been doing a fantastic job. Um, so, a uh, question, a uh, couple couple ballpark questions here. Uh, Kirk Paulson asks, just curious, have any of you been to Oracle Park and toured the new layout? How are the changes expected to help? hitters or hurt pitchers? Well, um, I mean, it's got, it has to help to have uh, the, the fences brought in. Uh, when they decided to do it, uh, you, you can bet that Farhan Zaidi and his staff looked at all the analytics and figured out exactly how many home runs they would gain offensively and exactly how many home runs they would, uh, the pitchers would give up. That is information that they declined to share. Uh, because they feel it's proprietary and they don't want us to know the formulas, it's not going to make a huge difference. The uh, the one place I think, I, I think right center, the, the corner, which is uh, 421, which is the part where everybody has been focused on for the last 20 years, 
I don't think you're going to see much of a difference between 421 and 415, which I think is going to be the difference. I think it's six feet. I think where you're going to see the difference is in straightaway center, it's going to go from 399 to 391. And, and that has, or uh, 390, maybe, 391. That has sort of been uh, a, a go direction. If you hit a ball to dead center, a lot of times it's going to fly, even when balls are, are held up. Uh, so I, I think that uh, you will see more home runs there. Um, left field is not going to be effective, uh, affected, and I would say that, you know, right center uh, is not going to be that much. And uh, Susan, um, this one's from Jan. She's asking, do you think the A's will be successful in getting a new stadium at either Jack London Square or at the Coliseum? Uh, she says she's still worried about them moving. I. Uh I was worried about them moving uh, you know, up until a, a year or two ago. I do think that the, this ownership group and the Dave Cavill are very sincerely working toward a stadium and Oakland officials seem by and large to be pretty much behind them. However, I, I'm still not convinced that Howard Terminal is the best spot. Wherever, wherever they can get it done is, is what I think that they should do, which is great. Um, but the lack of transportation and some of the um, issues with cleanup there, the live railroad tracks right in front of uh, the stadium where it would be, uh, all, all sorts of other issues that, that would have to be really worked out. Um, whereas the other logical spot would be the current Coliseum site. And there are none of those issues there. There are all sorts of, you know, it's not downtown. Uh, and I understand that there are a lot of uh, attractive uh, reasons to play something closer to, to, to downtown. Jack London Square is, is obviously a little bit cut off from downtown by the freeway, but um, you know, so you could say the same thing with, with Oracle Park. So uh, I love the idea if they could get it done, uh, but if they can't, they do have a very nice workable area that they could shift to that they are in the process of trying to buy. So uh, one or the other, let's, let's just get something done. I, I have no opinion on that other than the fact that I bought stock in the companies that make gondolas. And if they don't do it at Howard Terminal, I'm going to be really, really angry. Well, you know, Henry, they said the gondola can move 6,000 people an hour, which makes me wonder what all the people coming out of a game at the same time are going to do. Are they going to stand in line for gondola for an hour or a bunch of people that have been drinking beer going to try to cross live railroad tracks instead, which seems like not not a good idea so it won't be six thousand people my size i'll tell you that <laughs> safely anyway all right glad we got some gondola discussion going that's always exciting stuff um uh we have a question here from jacob russell snyder uh i either of you feel free to take this one um how bad should we feel for the dodgers situation with mookie, ba mookie <laughs> bats uh, it's my league. You want me to take that one, Susan? That's definitely, definitely you. That is so Dodgers in the last 31 years. Um, you know, they, that's one of the things. They, they ended up uh, trading for Mookie Betts. Uh, I think most of you know what happened. They had a three-way deal with uh, Boston and Minnesota, and uh, the, the Dodgers really didn't have to give up a lot in that deal. In fact, uh, the Red Sox, uh, you know, kind of backed away from the deal after a while, partly because they, they got snowed and, um, you know, they had to redo the deal. And when they redid the deal, uh, the, 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 the Dodgers really wanted Mookie Betts and they ended up giving away 
two much better prospects. Get them. Um, you know, a catcher and a shortstop, a shortstop whose first name is Jeter, incidentally. Um, and uh, they're not going to get those guys back. And uh, so I think what might happen is I think the Dodgers, you know, I mean, I think the Dodgers are going to make a big push to try and sign him to an extension when he's going to be a free agent this winter. I think they're going to try and sell him on Los Angeles a lot of different ways. I don't know how he feels about Los Angeles. I would expect the Giants to get involved, uh, and after which they will finish second in the bidding. And um, I, as for feeling sorry for the Dodgers, um, I don't think anybody really feels sorry for any team. Uh, I, that's, a, that's a saying in baseball. Nobody's feeling sorry for us. So I think the question was probably asked in jest, but uh, now nah, I don't think anyone feels sorry for him. And uh, Sam Pasco asks, what's the likelihood of baseball fans losing minor league baseball teams next year? Um, Henry, this is one that you've, uh, you've written quite a bit about. There's a former Giants prospect who, uh, who is leading a, a lawsuit against uh, Major League Baseball for fair wages, and this has been a, a piece of that. Um, so uh, w- what are your thoughts on that, Henry? Well, I mean, first of all, Major League Baseball uh, came out with an initial proposal to cut back 40, cut, cut about a quarter of the teams out. Uh, I think it was about 42 out of 160 teams. Uh, and, you know, it, it's what it was. It was a proposal. And uh, they're saying that the teams that they're going to ax are, are teams that uh, don't have the proper facilities for training. Uh, and I don't really know what their motivation is. A hundred percent. I don't. I don't know that they that the final version of their agreement with the minor league baseball uh, organization is going to end up being forty teams uh, cut out. Uh, there's one Giants team. They're uh, Salem Kaiser uh, rookie league team. Uh, I think. I think you know rookie leagues are probably going to be abandoned. Abandoned if that plan goes through. And I know Susan. There's a a team. Is it? Uh, it's it's on the East Coast somewhere, right? Uh, that is. Um, some it's, it's not uh, it, it maybe a low a league or a rookie league team somewhere in the east eastern half of the country that would be in jeopardy uh i don't think the a's have any teams that are in jeopardy currently okay um we better get our story straight that would be that would actually be really good um you know th- this is a negotiation just like a cba with players and uh the negotiation has, has been put on hold they I, I presume that they're still kind of talking informally that agreement actually runs out. The agreement between Major League Baseball, the affiliation agreements with the the overall affiliation agreement with Minor League Baseball ends um, at the end of this season. I would guess there would be an extension of that agreement. And I think the one benefit of all this is, that, I mean, this was a war. This was a verbal war going on between Minor League Baseball and Major League Baseball. And I think like anything else, when you have a, you know, a tragic circumstance like we have in this country right now, those things sort of get put to the wayside a little bit because uh, nobody wants to be that aggressive and fight that hard when there's such a big issue like that going on. And uh, possibly a sign of the times here, um, it's taken almost an hour before we got our first Astros question. Oh, yay! <laughs> so, um, so they're starting to come in now. Jacob Russell Snyder asks, um, how, how bad should we feel that the Astros did not get a tour of shame? Did they get away with it? Um, I haven't thought of the Astros in weeks, and I don't like that. Um, Susan, why don't you uh, 
take us with that one. Well, yeah, I do. I feel like I spent the first three weeks of spring training writing about, writing about the Astros more than anything else and Mike Fires and talking to Mike Fires every day, um, which was interesting because for about the first week, he just wasn't answering any questions. And all of a sudden, the floodgates opened and he wound up talking about him almost every day. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think the Astros are going to get away with anything. I think anytime baseball resumes, there's so much anger towards them. Uh, from fans of every team except for the Astros, uh, but particularly in the AL West and um, among Dodger fans uh, and among players on teams. I mean, we heard all spring there's uh, with other organizations shredding the Astros for, for what they did. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they'll get away with it. It's on the, on the back burner, obviously, but I think everybody's going to enjoy piling on the Astros as soon as we are back and, and uh, playing baseball, whether it's this year or next year. Yeah, I did a I did a podcast with uh, Dusty Baker. Um, I think it was a podcast or a story. I don't remember now. Uh, but um, he said he told me that um, he doesn't think that. Uh, I mean, he it, it, they'll have to go through the league one time. Uh, and I I seem to think now when I interviewed him, it was it was before the shutdown. And I'm I'm pretty confident that whether that's going to be at the end of twenty, beginning of twenty one, the beginning of twenty two, I think the same thing is going to hold true. Even if a lot of even if some of those players aren't there, I think the Astros are going to get it. They're going to have to get used to getting it. No doubt. All right, and a natural uh, follow up here. Martin Gonzalez asks, "What has what has happened to the MLB's investigations of investigation of the Red Sox for cheating?" I get asked this almost every single day, um, which I find bizarre since I don't cover the Red Sox, but uh, people that certainly fans still care about it because I hear about it constantly. But I think uh, really everything in baseball has been sort of pushed to the back because of what they're dealing with right now. Uh, and I think they feel like it might not be appropriate to suddenly in the middle of a pandemic say, hey, by the way, here's all the sanctions that we've decided that we're going to issue against the Red Sox. I'm not sure why they were taking so long with it before any of this uh, issues hit, hit with the virus. They could have, it seems like they could have done it quite some time ago. Uh, but I assume that, that they slowed it all down because they're, you know, they've got bigger things to worry about right now. And I don't think they think it would be appropriate. All right. Um, let's see if we have, looks like we have time for maybe one or two more here. Um, let's see. I'll pick someone you haven't picked. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for some, uh, someone else here. Oh, while he's looking for a question, um, I know a lot of folks ask questions that aren't going to be answered. If, if you didn't, if you had a Giants question that hasn't been answered, uh, Please send it to my email address, hshulman at sfchronicle.com. I'm going to do a mailbag soon, and I'll consider those the first of my mailbag questions, hshulman at sfchronicle.com. And I think, Susan, you might be in the, you might offer the same, right? Yeah, I'm trying to do uh, my reluctant mailbag every other week or so. So yeah, I would same. Uh, sslesser at sfchronicle.com, or of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Susan Slesser. So uh, any any questions that don't get answered, or if you happen to think of anything after this is all over, we're, we're always looking for things to write about. And just in general, like if you have ideas or suggestions, we're always looking for ways to improve our coverage or explore things that maybe we didn't think of ourselves. I, I get story ideas from fans and, and readers all the time. And I also want to thank all of you guys for joining us and for being subscribers. We, we couldn't 
appreciate that more, particularly right now in the, the current environment environment we're in. Um, you know, local metro newspapers are more important than ever, and we love our readers for that reason. Absolutely. I, I you know, I bump, as we used to say online when we were in, in threads. Uh, my uh, Twitter is at Hank Schulman. I have a burner account called at John Schultz's Beard. You can read me at <laughs> one. We can't end on that note. Ask a question, John. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. I think I may have got one for, gotten one from David Cost before, but it's. Uh, I think this is a good one to end on. Um, any updates on bringing the, the designated hitter to the National League? And why aren't the players like Madbaum and Kershaw, to name two, being more vocal about not wanting the DH? Well, I, uh, I'll start because you asked me about two National League players. Uh, there's no impetus whatsoever. Uh, I mean, Manfred doesn't want to change it. And uh, for whatever reason, he decided that it's not a high-priority item. So I think that's one of the reasons Kershaw and Bumgarner are not complaining. Although I did hear uh, that if they were going to have a 30-team uh, Arizona situation, that they would all use the designated hitter. So it's possible that that could happen if it does happen. And then – uh, all of a sudden, people really like it. Uh, but I, he just, of all the changes that he wants to make, which is really strange, uh, he, this, is one, this is one where everything in baseball is together. It's 30 teams. It's not like two separate leagues with two separate league presidents. This is the one thing that he just doesn't want to mess with. Well, I do think it, I, I heard the same thing about um, a 30-team Arizona thing that w it would be DH for a lot of reasons, but among, among, um, you know, among them, the American League teams still would just would not want to be doing it all that often for their pitchers, sake of their health of their pitchers. But uh, one of the things Manfred ha is interested in is realignment. And if he does that, if there's any expansion or realignment, there's very strong undercurrent that at that point there would be universal universal DH applied for sure. Um, because you'd be having, you know, potentially you, you could even go do away with the American and National League altogether with some of the proposals that I've seen. Um, some of which would include uh, an idea I love, even though I'm a very much a tr baseball traditionalist, but if you had like a West Coast essentially division, how great would that be? I mean, that would just be, that would be phenomenal. Speaking to somebody that covers a team that annually travels more than 50,000 miles a year, that, uh, that would be, I would actually be all in favor of that. All right. Well, uh, that should do it, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'll echo Susan and Henry and saying that you subscribers mean the world to us and your support is uh, very meaningful and helps us continue to do what we what we love to do most and that is cover sports for you guys and um, and uh, yeah we hope to do more events like this in the future uh, and hope you're all staying safe and sane and um, we will hopefully uh, see you again for one of these in the, in the future. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this joint Giant Splash A's Plus podcast. Special thanks to Christina Nori, who organized the event, and podcast producers King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. You can find part one of the subscriber event and all Giant Splash and A's Plus episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support the Splash and all of the Chronicle's great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.